Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen. Love the Lord, and so honored that you are here. We, we are uh, apparently running out of Hebrew uh, texts. I think we have like four or five. Here's what, here's what we'll do. Um, if you want one after church, so we have, we've got about five or six. Well, okay, I'm just gonna disappoint somebody. Raise your hand if you have not received. We have been going through the book of Hebrews. Um, if you have not received one, please raise up your hand. We'd like to give one out to you. The book of Hebrews, if you have not received one thus far, Oh, well, look at that. One, is there one? Is there one? Is there two? Are there two? Okay, I see those hands. Okay. All right, so we've got about five or six. Great, perfect. All right, well, we've been walking through the book of Hebrews, and we'd love for you to have a Bible to walk with us through that. If you had the opportunity, if we saw Jesus in his fullness when he was here, we would see Jesus walk on water. You see him turn water into wine. You see Jesus do the miraculous. And in seeing Jesus do these miraculous things, I was amazed by the disciples who saw all these things. And it was interesting. After seeing Jesus do incredible things, they asked a question. They made a request. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. You see, when Jesus, before Jesus walked on water, And before he raised Lazarus from the dead, the disciples saw him praying. One thing they could be clear about, when Jesus was praying, things changed. The prayers of Jesus were powerful. And so their confidence was not just in the miracles of Jesus, it was in the intercessory work of Jesus, knowing that when Jesus prayed a thing, it could never be the same. Jesus is caught in John 17, praying over the disciples. This is what he says in John 17. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with you, I kept them in your name which you have given me, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost. Jesus Christ is praying for his disciples and in his prayer for them, he's saying, God, I'm about to go away. And when I go away, my prayer for them is that they would remain in your name, meaning they would continue to give you glory because they might stray. He's acknowledging the weaknesses of the disciples. He's acknowledging that the disciples might stray from one another. He says, keep them together and make them one. Jesus prays over the disciples and he is praying for their staying power, their ability to remain together in the name of our Lord. And in that prayer, he wasn't just praying for the disciples. He was praying for me and you. He was praying that we would stay Because Jesus is well acquainted with our weaknesses. He knows 
what trips you up. He is well acquainted with your frailties. And so because of that, he prays over you. The powerful prayers of Jesus were interceding for you in John 17. But here's something that you may not be aware of. We're going to learn a little theology today. Amen? Amen. Romans 8 chapter, Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says this. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who is interceding for us? Um, did you know that Christ Jesus died? Anybody know that? Yeah, yeah, y'all some theologians, amen, yeah. Look what he says, more than that, more than that, who was raised? Did you know Jesus rose from the dead? Y'all knew that, y'all knew that, I knew you, I knew you knew that. And then it says, who is at the right hand of God? Did you know Jesus at the right hand of the Father? You knew that, no? Yes, amen. Here's something you may not be considering in your theology and in your prayer life. Not only did Jesus rise from the dead, not only did he die, not only is that at the right hand of the Father, it says, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, let me ask you, the people that always check people on Facebook because their grammar is jacked up, my grammatical genius is in here, amen and amen. Is interceding present tense or past tense? In other words, does that mean the implication is that Jesus didn't just pray for us in John 17, he is praying for us right now. It means that the vocation of God is to pray for you. In this very moment, Jesus is praying for you. What this tells us is that every time you pray to Jesus, you are actually being invited to pray with Jesus. You've never prayed a prayer. Jesus didn't beat you to. Jesus is always praying for you. So you think you're entering a dialogue, but you're actually entering a trialogue. There are two people already praying and they're praying for you and you join them in that prayer. When I was young, uh, I remember I got connected with my beautiful wife, Natasha, amen. And I told, my, I told my mama about it. I said, mom, I met this girl. I came back home to New York and I walked in this room with all my aunties and stuff. And I walked in there and my one auntie just had this look on her face like. <laughs> you know what I look like? Mm. And I, I said, well, what y'all, what y'all talking about? What, what y'all talking about? And she said, she said this phrase to me. She said this phrase to me. She said, boy, were your ears burning? You ever heard that phrase before? It's when the aunties get together and they've been talking about you and you weren't there. And they said, well, are your ears burning? Because we, boy, we were just talking about you. And that girl, we were just talking about you. Do you realize that if Jesus is praying for you right now, your ears should be burning because Christ is already praying about you, interceding for you? The God of heaven is talking about you, praying over you, and you join him in that prayer. I was praying that that light would go off, and it finally, <laughs> after much intercession, my God, 
Thank you, Russell. So this is what the text says. So you ask yourself, why would Jesus be praying to us? Doesn't God already know? Why would Jesus be praying? But this is the beauty of Jesus as being a priest. Jesus brings a unique perspective to the table in his prayers. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And the beauty of Jesus praying for us is that he can relate to us. He has been human. He learned obedience through walking in humanity. Jesus understands our frailties and knows us. In other words, he sympathizes with us, the scripture says. So Jesus knows us very well. And he speaks on our behalf to our Lord. Uh, I don't know if David Watkins is here again for the second service, praise God, but if you are, no, great. David Watkins was here last service. Last week, oh, is he here? Is he here? No? Okay. Oh, no? All right, praise God. Listen. David came up to me and he said, um, you know, James, I'm, um, I'm applying to this job at Reach Records. I want to be an A&R at Reach Records. Now, if you don't know what Reach Records is, it's, kind of, it's a hip-hop record company. And the guy who helped start it was this guy named Lecrae. He's a Christian rapper. Now, I am friends with said Christian rapper Lecrae. He was in my Bible study years ago, right? We put the picture up there for evidence. Amen. So... <laughs> So, so here I am with Lecrae, and, and we're, we're friends, and we're cool. And David says to himself, you know, I'm applying to this job at Reach Records, and I hear you know Lecrae. Is that right? You know Lecrae? You know Lecrae. You know him, right? Okay. And he's like, like the bigger, higher up there. Okay. Well, since you know me, and you know him, could you do me a favor and put in a good word for me? because you know him, and I need you to just kind of stand in the gap. That is essentially what the priest does. They stand in the gap as an advocate, as an intercessor, and one who puts in a good word, understanding and knowing the frailties of humanity. Jesus is one who walked as a human, who knows our weaknesses. So he speaks in that mentality and that understanding of who we are. This imagery that we see is of a priest. Now there, we talked about this the other week, but the priest, if you look there on his chest, the priest has 12 different stones. These stones are representative of 12 different tribes. He also has stones on his shoulders. These two stones on each shoulders has six different names. Those six different names all comprise of 12 different tribes. The idea is that when the priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, the very place of God, they would be representing the people before God. The reality is, is that they were not only a representative, but also an advocate. Now in this moment, the priest would walk in there All the people of that time understood that priests intercede. But what we're going to deal with today in this text is a very, not 
extremely deep theological idea, but one that was steeped in history and culture. Jews understood priests. They grew up with priests. And these Jews were Christians. And as being Christians that were Jewish, they struggled with this idea. How is Jesus a priest when all priests are from the Levitical line? The Levitical line ties back to one of the tribes, Levi. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus also never put on priestly garb. He never wore the breastplate. He never put on the tassels. He never went into the Holy of Holies in a physical standpoint. He was never a priest. Much more, he was not from a priestly line. His dad was a carpenter. So those that were Jewish Christians were dealing with their friends and family around them saying, so you say this Jesus is a priest. I never saw him in the temple. Much less, I never saw his daddy in the temple. This priest, you say, where, do he, where does he come from? Who are his people? Essentially what they would ask. So they were invalidating the priesthood of Jesus because of the lineage of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, say hearty amens. It's a little deep theology. All right, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. So look here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. We're going to read this together. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. We're going to read this on three. One, two, three. Where Jesus... So now he is going to present this idea. There are two things that we are going to lean into today. The first of which is this concept, the order of Melchizedek. And then we are going to talk essentially about the high priestly role that Jesus continues in forever. Melchizedek is an obscure figure in the Old Testament. You rarely hear about him. Melchizedek, you hear about him only three times. In Genesis 14, you hear about him twice. And then in Psalm 110, you hear about him once. Melchizedek is a mysterious person. You don't have much information on him. But this individual, this author, begins to unpack who Melchizedek is. In Genesis chapter 14, it reads this way. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So if you notice in Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek starts to bless Abraham. And the interesting thing is, if you were to read that entire chapter, Melchizedek comes out of nowhere. We saw other kings, but this particular king, he just appears. So it's really hard to understand who he is. But here, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Abraham had just finished winning a bunch of wars. He had taken out about five different kings. And there, they see the blessing of Melchizedek. And then it says in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, and Abram 
gave him a tenth of everything. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This king priest, Melchizedek, comes and blesses him, and then Abram gives him a tenth. Now understand, giving a tenth or tithing was an indication that you were giving the person or that priest spiritual authority in your life. Side note, hashtag commercial break to all the tithers in the building, amen and amen. That means that I actually believe in your leadership and I invest in that leadership. That's what they're talking about there. So the imagery that he says there is, essentially Melchizedek is seen by Abraham as a spiritual authority. Interesting. He goes on to say in Hebrews chapter seven, verse one and two, he is now interpreting. For this Melchizedek, jumping from Genesis 14 to Hebrews. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abram apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is firstborn by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem. That is king of peace. He breaks down his name. What the author is doing is looking back at Melchizedek through the lens of Jesus. This is what you would say he is looking at him Christologically, meaning he is looking at a type of Christ. He's looking at someone who is figuratively like Christ. Now, this person Melchizedek is not Jesus. It is not an angel, but it's someone who reminds you of Jesus. That's what he's trying to get at. And with this Christological lens that he is looking at, he says, well, look at also his name. I mean, his name means king of righteousness. And then he's the king of Salem. Salem means peace. So he says, look, righteousness, peace. He's a king. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? That's what he's drawing them into. And he goes on in chapter seven, verse three. So then he says in verse three, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning or days of days nor end of life but resembling, that's, that's when you know it's figurative, resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. <laughs> the author is funny because this is what he's saying. He said, y'all know, know the Old Testament, right? Y'all know the Old Testament, right, right? He said, what about Melchizedek? Okay, so you're worried about the line of Jesus, right? That's your concern that he's not in the Levitical line. That's what your concern is. Let me ask you a question. What line is Melchizedek in? You remember that guy? Y'all remember him, right? What line is he? Oh, because you don't know when he was born. You don't even know his mama and his daddy, do you? But you accepted that, right? You accepted that Melchizedek was a priest, but now when Jesus comes on the scene, now you want to know about mamas and daddies, right? So that's what he is essentially saying. But then he says, okay, so you're concerned about that, all right? When did Melchizedek die? You don't know that, do you? So as far as you're concerned, this is the play on words, as far as you're concerned, he's a priest forever. He could still be a priest today because we never saw his beginning, nor did we see his end. So this imagery that he creates, and then he says, he, now he's bringing home this point, in Hebrews 7 and 5, 
He says, and those descendants, now you've got to understand, again, he's trying to bring out this idea of lineage. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers, their brothers, their brothers. Though these all descended from Abram. Now what he's saying is the Levitical priesthood are on the same, uh, they're, they're from the same family. So they're equal in that sense. But even though they are equal in lineage, they are not equal in authority. The priest has spiritual authority over Israel. So if you were to look at this from a hierarchical standpoint, you would first, can we put that up there? That, um, so we would first look at Abram. Abram is the patriarch. Underneath Abram would be Isaac, his son. And then underneath Isaac would be Jacob. And from Jacob, we have Levi. And Levi, we have the Levitical priesthood. And Israel is submitted to them. You understand? All right. So he's saying Israel looks at the Levitical priesthood with authority. The Levitical priesthood still looks at Jacob with authority. Jacob looks at Isaac with authority. And and we all look at Abram. We all look at Abram. This is the point. We all look at Abram with authority. Abram's our patriarch. Amen? Amen. Abram's a patriarch. Well, then he says, did you notice this? Who did Abram pay tithes to? Melchizedek. He says, watch this. If Abram paid tithes to Melchizedek, that must mean that Melchizedek is a spiritual authority over Abram. So then it would really work that Melchizedek would be spiritually authoritative over Abram, and Abram would be greater than Isaac, and Isaac would be greater than Jacob, and that means Jacob is greater than the Levitical priesthood, and they are all greater than Israel. But he's like, I'm here to tell you today that there's one who's greater than Melchizedek that Jesus is over Melchizedek and Melchizedek is over Abram and so on and so forth. So the idea that he is trying to bring out is that Abram showed spiritual authority to someone you didn't know their beginning, you didn't know their end, you accepted that because you saw in the scriptures how he blessed Abram. And in the same way, there is one who came who blessed the people of God and he has spiritual authority over Melchizedek, and he has spiritual authority over Abram. He is greater than all patriarch. He is greater than all prophets. He is the great high priest. He is Jesus. This would be in their day apologetics, defending the faith, bringing out history in order for them to see the greater point. Why? Because they are distracted by the culture. They are wondering, does this Jesus seem legitimate in my eyes to be my priest. So the author, I feel like I have to do that sometimes too. The author had to explain that to get to his greatest point. Okay, let's do all that theology so you get to my big point. And this is what he says in verse 25. Consequently. Consequently. In other words, in light of all that, I've said all that to say this. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost 
Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you know what this is saying? When he's saying, in light of all that, the great high priest, the one who has spiritual authority over all, he's able to save to the uttermost. Y'all know what the uttermost is? You ever been to the uttermost? The uttermost is when you feel so disqualified to have a relationship with God that you're just like, there's no way the hand of God could reach me over here. I'm, I, I got sin on the radio. I'm driving to sin. I'm going to do some sin. I don't want to think about you. I don't even want you to, you know, I heard you to hound to heaven. Don't chase me down tonight. I got a plan. I'm planning sin tonight. You've been, has anybody been to the uttermost? I mean the far, far place. And he's saying, because Jesus has the highest and greatest spiritual authority, there is no sin that he cannot break and there is no yoke that will intimidate him. He can reach you wherever you are. He saves to the uttermost. His reach cannot be stopped. His authority cannot be broken. There is no lineage that he needs to, in order to be the great authority. He says... We should draw near in light of that. But then he says, this is where your confidence should be. When you're in the uttermost, when you're just tired of sin and you just feel nasty in your sin or you just feel tired of God and you want to draw near to God, this is what he says. He always lives to make intercession for them. You ever, you ever sit and wonder like you just sitting there one day and you're like, Jesus, what you doing? What you doing, Jesus? Like what you doing there in heaven and stuff? What you doing? What do you do in heaven? Do you like go and just check out the nations or like, what do you do? It's like the world, like a feed, like you just check out things or you just like, what do you do? What do you do? Look what it says he does. He always lives to make intercession for them. He lives to make intercession. This is how he makes his living. <laughs> this is what he does. So Jesus is not still a carpenter. Jesus is not continually to make sacrifices. In other words, Jesus is not bivocational. He has one job. You know when they said you, got, you had one job? <laughs> Jesus got one job. What's his one job? To pray. That's what he does all day. He prays. Now, how deep is his prayer? This is the same Jesus that while he was on the cross, and he was being nailed to the cross. Now, if you've ever thought you disappointed Jesus, imagine the people that were nailing him to the cross. I think they frustrated him a little bit. Wouldn't you think? I think the people that nailed Jesus to the cross disappointed him just a little bit. And even while they were nailing him to the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, I get them. I get them. Jesus, don't blow them up, Jesus. Don't blow them up, God. Listen. I get them. They don't, 
They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the implication of the sin in their life. Father, while they are crushing me, while I'm bleeding out, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At the very moment of Christ's life being taken, he intercedes for those who were hurting him the most. If he did that for them, then what will he do for you? It means that he will rescue you from the uttermost. It means he will intercede for you in the deepest, darkest of places. What we see here, <laughs> you know, there are areas in your life, two years ago you were praying hard about. Remember that prayer from two years ago? You were just like, God, and you, you came back from like a conference, you were just like, God, I trust, Whew, you wrote it down, you put it on a board, you were just like, God, I know it. And then like you put it on Facebook and you were just like, cause God is about to do this thing and blah, blah, blah. And then two years later, it came up in your Facebook memories. You were just like, I remember when I was praying that. Oh man, I remember. I remember, I remember when I was, I was so stupid. I remember I, and then somebody look at you like, you was praying that? Yeah, I stopped praying for that. I just, it was too much. It was too much. I was praying over that for like two years and I just stopped. I got tired. I got tired of praying. I'm tired. So there are things you expected that didn't work out. And then there are things that like begatting sin. Y'all know what begatting is? Like it takes you. I'm talking about strongholds. And there are areas in your life that you, you prayed, I'll never do it again. And then when you did it again, you're like, I pray, I'll never do it again. And then you were just like, you kind of looked at the guy like, you know, and then you just stopped praying about it. Because shame took over. And here's what this says. If Jesus lives to intercede, even though you stopped praying, he didn't stop interceding. Because he lives to intercede for you. He continues to pray for you. You know what I've learned about Christians? The more saved we get, the more crafty we get with sin, amen? Huh? You get good with it, you know what I'm saying? You just like creative with your sin, huh? Like a magician. And God, he never, at, at no point does God ever get to the place where he is impressed with your tricks. He gets beyond all your barriers. He knows all your ways. And he still intercedes for you. You ever have a friend give up on you? Don't go, don't wild out. Don't think about him right now. That's not what this, that, somebody's about to be like, see, and that's, they're looking at you right now. See, that's why we're not cool no more, right? Like, but you ever have a friend like, they stop believing in you? Like y'all had a real good conversation and y'all were like, yo, we're going to do this. And then like you failed a little bit, then you failed a lot or they failed you, but it just stopped. Like the energy stopped, like the connection stopped. If this is true, this should revolutionize your prayer life. Because if Jesus is interceding for me daily, then I should run to my prayer closet. 
Because Jesus is saying, meet me there. We already started the prayer meeting. We've already started. You're joining me. I'm inviting you to join the prayer meeting about you tonight because I've already been interceding for you. I've already been thinking about that thing two years ago. I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I'm eternal. I don't like do this like, I don't drop prayers off two years ago. I heard you. The Bible says in Revelation that there's a bowl of incense and it is the prayers of the saints. So prayer is something we are joining God in. But you can have prayer fatigue, you know what I'm saying? Where you're just like, I can't with you, God. Because you're not seeing it happen here on earth. You'd pray more if it happened the next day, wouldn't you? Oh boy, I'd be a... I'd be a praying fool if you prayed And that joint was like McDonald's. Like, I'd like to order that girl, that guy. I'd like to order that. You know what I'm saying? Medium melanin. Like, whatever you want to do, right? Whatever it is, right? If you could order prayers. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. If you could order prayers like you order food, you'd pray constantly. The problem isn't that you don't want to pray. The problem is in the delay, right? It's like you're not seeing it happen. And the reason why you get fatigued is because unknowingly in your heart, you begin to believe that God is like us. He just forgets. He just stops. He just kind of gives up. He doesn't continue. But if the implication of this is true, then Jesus not only doesn't stop, he doesn't give up, he lives to do this. He is, Jesus is celebrating every time you pick that old prayer up. Jesus is celebrating with you because he didn't stop praying that prayer. He's like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're continuing in what I was already doing. And Jesus is in the place of power. He's seated at the right hand of God. The Bible says, they they go on to say in Romans, I'm sorry, in uh, Hebrews chapter eight, the author is gonna try to bring his point home. He says, now the point in what we are saying, he's trying to culminate all this. We have such a, a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Now at the end, verse two, he's kind of, he's, He's hitting at priests because he says priests go into man-made tents. They set them up. But he's saying, no, this is a different priest. He's in the heavens. He's in the holies. The tent is supposed to look like mini heaven. But he's saying when you go to the holy holies, he's actually in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. And because of that, he is in a higher place of authority, a higher place of power. And he is seated. He is not continually making sacrifices His work is done. He is in the holy of holies. Yo, can I tell you, I thought about something between services. Can I tell y'all an honest confession? If David Watkins is here, let's all just decide not to tell him, all right? We're going to have a big hundred-some person secret, all right? Can we have a secret together? No. But let's just try. (laughs) Straight up. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. 
he asked me on Sunday, he said, yo, you know Lecrae, right? I said, yeah. He said, you hook me up? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. No lie. I forgot. Why? I'm busy. I got stuff going on. I, I do have a lot. I got kids. Anyway, so I got a lot going on. I forgot. And I promise you, I started reading this, and I thought about Joseph. You know the story of Joseph, where he interprets the dream for this cupbearer? Yeah. And the cupbearer goes to the Pharaoh, and he gets before the Pharaoh. And look, he goes before the Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream. Joseph's in prison. He's in prison. He wants to get out there. So he hooks up this cupbearer. And he's like, yo, when you get before the Pharaoh, when you get into that room, when you're like in the place, you know what I'm saying? Remember me. And it says in Genesis 40 and 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. <laughs> Look, and I was like, yo, that's a good corollary. Like sometimes, sometimes we think because we aren't seeing something, we think Jesus forgot us. I was like, isn't that so funny? Sometimes people, so look, this is, so, is going to be so dope. Sometimes, watch this, sometimes you tell people to hook you up and they forget you. <laughs> David Watkins, oh snap. And then I just immediately, I was like, oh snap, I forgot him. I was like, oh, and then I went and I was like, I literally, I was like, yo man, I'm going to use this story in my sermon. Um, and I hit him up right then and then all that happened and it was amazing. But I forgot him. And I started studying and I remembered him. And because you're not seeing something happen, you think Jesus is like that cupbearer sometimes. That he is in the place of power and he's forgotten you. That you need to like remind him. And Jesus lives to intercede for us. So when David, when I did that, when I remembered by God's grace, so I could tell this analogy, I, uh, I text Lecrae and I was like, yo, got this friend, he's interviewing. Um, yo, I just want to put in a good word for him. He was like, okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll tell Ace. I was like, cool, Ace, great. So then David says, did you, were you able to talk to him? I said, yeah. I said, he's going to tell somebody. He was like, cool. I said, Ace. He told Ace. He said, he told who? I said, Ace. He said, I just interviewed with Ace yesterday. He told Ace? I said, yeah, Ace. God, in his sovereignty, in the same way that I was able to just move some things around and put him in a good position. You have been waiting for people to open up doors for you. And you have been waiting for the hookup so bad. In fact, you are bitter with some people who you thought should hook you up and put you in the right position. You are networking too hard with humans. And you're not networking enough with Jesus. Cause you're like, well, you know him, so you know, you know, cause you, cause you get, can you, and can you hook me up? And you are hungry for the hookup of humans, and you're not depending on the sovereignty of Jesus. Until Jesus is at the center of your network, until His sovereignty 
is at the top of your network. You will always be looking for a new cupbearer to remember you when they're in the room. Some will remember you, but some will forget. And just like me, I might forget. You're working too hard with people. You want people to remember you. You want people to think well of you. Hey, when you say my name, remember, oh, go, Because don't you know me? Oh, no. Have a good name. Yeah, network. But for some of you, your network is your idol. You think when you meet the right person, then you'll take off. And do you know the worst thing that could happen to you? That you do blow up. Because you'll think your come up came from them and not from Jesus. Let Jesus be your cupbearer. He's in the room. He's in the room. He's in the room. Every boardroom that you want to be in, he's in that room. Every important person, he's in control. Every moment that you wish you could have your name be, don't say my name, he's in the room. Stop working so hard for a favorable name from important people because there's an important person that already knows your name. He knows your name. You don't have to walk around with so much insecurity. I pray you would destroy the yoke for validation in your life from the right people and the right places. You know the right person in the right place. Stop being so hungry for validation. Stop trying to get people to say the right thing about you. Christ died for your sins and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he lives to intercede for you. And you know what, that, you know what we call that? Enough. That's enough. Oh, I'm good, yeah. Oh, I might blow up, I might not, but I have enough. Because the most important person in the most important place talks about me. Oh yeah, I know big, oh, I, oh, 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 I know big people, oh yeah. You know Jesus? Oh, I know Jesus. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's a, he's a big deal. All right. yeah. I pray today you would turn, listen, you would turn from your hunger and your desire to have man exalt you. I pray that, I pray that if man has exalted you, that you would turn from it and you would let Jesus exalt you. Let him be central. Let him hook you up. I wonder if we could stand. It will, it will never be enough. The minute that you allow human interaction, Trump sovereign intercession, it will never be enough. People will never be enough. They'll never be enough. 
There'll never be enough names. There'll never be a big enough network. It'll never be enough. You'll get a new platform and it won't be enough. Jesus is in the important place. He's the important person. He's saying important things about you. You are important. You are validated. You don't need any other validation. You don't need to be verified. You don't need any of that. You are important and you are valid. 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 You are valid. You have value because of who you know. There's not a new person, that new person that you think, man, when I meet them, I'm gonna blow up. There won't be enough because you're gonna get close to them and guess what you're gonna see? They are as broken as you are, if not more. And what makes them great is also what makes them horrible. You'll see. So tonight, won't you let Jesus live out his job? Because he lives to intercede for you. He's praying over you right now. I wonder if we could have the communion come. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.